up on Facebook, we gave you a little bit of a, a summary for tonight that Jude has exhorted the reader to contend for the faith, but so far he's only instructed in what we are contending against. So he's made a real clear case as to what we are against in the faith, but now he's going to finish the letter showing how we are to contend. And this is broken down into four aspects, two of which we will take on tonight and two we will take on next week as we finish. The verses that came before are important, so we'll read those again. These, this is verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. So we got the grumblers and the complainers. We said that these people are easy to identify by their fruits, by their motives, and their selfish nature. He... Um, went on to talk about, well, we went on to talk about last, last time we were together, that they go after the sensual and not the spiritual. They are sensual persons. Essentially, these men were not spiritual. They were carnal and insensitive to the Holy Spirit, but they passed themselves off as being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll notice this phrase here in verse 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to use that same phrase in our verses tonight. So we pick up at verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So this is the second, but you, beloved, that we have here in this passage. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So this is the part where he is, he is telling them, in order to contend, these are the things that you need to have going. The first is, build yourselves up. He says, build it up on your most holy faith. The word here that is used for building up is a word that is that means to build on, to build upon, or to build up. In the classical Greek, this would be to build upon something or to add to something already in existence. This is not a word they would use to build a building from, from scratch. There's nothing there. We're going to go in there and build something. This is a word they would use like we would kind of use the word of addition. When you add, make an addition to a house, you are building on what is already there. And so this is what this word is talking about. It is talking about to build on, to build upon, or to build up. So build yourselves up on your most holy faith. First off, there must be something there, which is the faith that they, they already had. That needed to be in place. Now we are going to add to it. We're going to build upon it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So here's that word, to build up. So he's able to build you up. He's able to add on to what is already there. In 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 9 through 15. For some reason, I didn't bring, put that on mine. But we'll have it up here. I missed I missed adding that one in. I'm sure Daryl's already got it in up there for you. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sake? For our sake, no doubt, this is written. He who 
plow should plow in hope. Am I hitting the right spot? Oh, I got the wrong chapter. There we go. Thank you, sir. I was thinking it wasn't sounding familiar to me, but I figured, well, eventually it's going to sound familiar and I'm going to be all right. <laughs> For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, other builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So we have a foundation that is laid. And we need to take that foundation and other things are going to be added to it. So the we can continue on verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though by fire. So there is something that is there. We need to build upon it. This is, again, not building from scratch. It's going to be a different thing. An apostle oftentimes, Paul would oftentimes come in and build something from scratch, but what we're talking about here is coming in and taking something that is already there. There's a foundation of faith that is already there, and we're going to add to, we're going to build upon it. So this uses that word often. In Ephesians 2, verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So here's your foundation, the apostles and the prophets. That's the foundation we're building upon it. So just to, and you can look up Colossians 2, 6 through 10 later on. But this is the same idea here. There is something already there. We're building to it. We're, we're adding to it. So he says, let's read that again, but you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. When he says the word praying in the Holy Spirit, he uses the most used word for prayer, prosukamai, and each time this word is used, it always means prayer to God. There are some words that are used for prayer that are talking about asking. And they may be asking other other people, or the, they may be used for asking other people of things. But when this word is used, the Bible uses this when it is talking about prayer to God. Now, how is this to help? When we have prayer to God, we are developing a fellowship. We are developing a unity with the Spirit of God. It's imperative that we develop this. The false teachers are not going to develop this. False teachers may have, or false brethren even, may have started out correctly. They may have started out right. But they began to get off. And what became less an aspect of them is that prayer life, that time when they would talk and they would commune with God. That was lost to them. And they spent less and less time with this. But you, beloved, were supposed to be in there praying, and in specifically praying in the Holy Spirit. This very well could be praying in tongues, but it can also be Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. Whatever way that it is, the Holy Spirit is inspiring them, and we are getting that unity between us and the Holy Spirit. This is creating that fellowship. And this is also building upon something that is already there. So this is something that we need to do. If we don't, if we get away from that time of prayer, that time of fellowship with God, 
our foundation will begin to be eroded. The building can't be added upon. And we can go the way of the people that are false. He doesn't want us to do that. So one of the ways that we keep from doing that is to build ourselves up. We have to be strong. We have to be strengthened. It is not enough just to know what the false people are. We must also develop ourselves to be strong. If I don't spend time to develop myself, I won't be ready for what's, what's coming up. There's a, there's a book that uh, um, some people in the, in the church are, are beginning to get to go through again. And uh, anybody ever read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Successful People? Probably the least talked about and the least enjoyed of all of the seven habits is the one he entitled Sharpen the Saw. Most of the other ones people can tell you about right off the bat, but the Sharpen the Saw, we don't always like to spend a whole lot of time with that. Um, but it's important. If we're not sharpening the saw, and I believe, it's been a while since I read that book, but I believe he was using an example of somebody who would go out with an axe to take down a tree. If it wasn't him, it was somebody else. But they would talk about if you don't spend time sharpening the axe, then you can work hard, really, really hard, and not get as far as someone who has a sharp axe. It's imperative in whatever field that we're in that we make sure we pull back and we take some time to build ourselves up, to do the things that you need to do to get yourselves ready for what's coming. So there needs to be time that we pull ourselves aside and have that intimate time with God. Not in there asking Him for things, not in there making our request before God, but to have that fellowship time, to have that communion time in prayer with Him. That may be praying in the Spirit, but there's also other times when we're praying Spirit-inspired prayers. You could even have times of, of prayer worship where you're worshiping God. But whatever it is, it needs to be something that creates the, the relationship between you and God. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. These are things that we need to do. And this is the first aspect of what has to happen. I need to build myself up so that I am ready for the things that are going to come against me. There's one thing that Jude, Jude knows, and other people have taught it as well. Those that are false are coming after you. They will come. They will try and take down the things that are important. They will try and erode relationships. They will try and separate you between those that are giving the truth and those that are not. They will try and get you to be too busy to do the things like prayer, pray and study. They're going to try and pull you out of that spot so that you are not built up and you are not able to. You're not ready. But you... But you can, you can get in there to, you can do that. We have to find the motivation for that. Different things can come up and steal our motivation. But you have to make sure that you stay in that, in that place and stay motivated. As we look at the aspects of the things that build us up, there's studying the word, there's praying in the, in the spirit, there's praying in fellowship. All these things are important. You will find that, that you yourself are more drawn to certain aspects of that, and you need uh, less motivation to get started. But there's other parts that you need more motivation. Some people, it's easy just to sit down and read the Word. It's harder to sit down and study the Word. For other people, it's easy to sit down and listen to uh, someone under the anointing uh, teaching on the Word. Other folks find that 
uh, very easy to do. Some people find worship in one-on-one time easy. Other people find it hard. Whatever it is, there's going to be some aspects of it that are very difficult for you to do. And you have to find ways for which you can, you can pull that together. I had somebody just ask me last week that they were, um, uh, we were involved in a conversation and they were trying to get some things going on, just trying to get themselves out there and get exercise and, and do stuff. And so they asked me, said, how do you keep yourself motivated to run in the winter? And I said, well, I'm an odd duck. And I said, most people are not like me. I don't need motivation. I need to motivate myself not to. I need to find ways to say, all right, you're not going to run more than this. And I try and put limits on myself. Most people don't have that problem. Most people, um, even runners, among runners, I'm a weird person. We had a team full of cross-country runners. And every single year I came back into camp, I'm the only one who ran. I'm the only one who ran all summer. I ran all summer. I ran every day of the summer. I came in with so many miles, and most of those guys just started picking up running again when they came into camp. Because I, I just loved it. And I still love it. But if you don't find the love for that, you're going to have a hard time for the motivation. Part of what gets you the love for it is you have to know the benefit of it. If I know the benefit that reading the Word will do for me, if I know the benefit, then I can find the motivation. But i got to stay focused on the benefit. What Jude is doing here is showing you this is the benefit. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. You want to avoid falling in line with these, you've got to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Stay in a place where you are built up. Understand it is imperative that you stay built up. The enemy oftentimes gets Christians to be so focused in service that they forget the part of building themselves up. And they keep going out in service, keep going out in service, and pretty soon there's nothing more for them to give, but they still try and find things to give, but they're empty. They don't have anything more. You've got to spend time with the Father in order to have things to give. Most times you will find that when you are having your time of building yourself up, God will give you things not only to help you, but also prepare you for who's coming around the corner, going to ask you some things. Oh, I just learned this. Oh, I just stepped into this. Oh, I just got this. And you're going to have that there to, to give them. So this is the first aspect, aspect of things. We need to be built up. I need to be ready need to be encouraged. I need to be knowledgeable. I need to have that communion with God. The more communion I have with God, the easier it is for me to recognize those that are false. The more that communion with between me and God falters, the harder it is for me to discern. In fact, I will oftentimes discern those that are false as though they were true. Because I haven't spent time sharpening a saw. I haven't been time, spent time building myself up. And so he has spent a good bit of time identifying those that are false. But now he's spending time, now look, you've got a role that you got to do. It's not enough just to be able to spot those that are false. You need to be built up. You've got to take time and go out there and be praying in the Spirit. You've got to take time and do the things that will build up your spirit. Because if you don't, you won't be ready. So this is the first aspect that he's going to get into. There's four aspects altogether. This is the first one. I need to be built up. Here's the second one. Verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into e- unto eternal life. The word here to uh, keep is the Greek word tereo, 
which means to watch over, to keep, or to guard. To watch over, to keep, or to guard. Implied in this is a sense of protection, care, and maintenance. The same word is used in verse 1, verse 6, and verse 13. This exact same word is used in those ones if you want to spend time going back and, and looking at that. But this is not the only time he's used this word. Here are some places that you will see this word used. In Matthew 27, 54, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. These were people that were guarding Jesus. Jesus was up on the cross. They were standing guard first off to make sure that Jesus didn't get down. And secondly, to make sure no one came over to rescue him. They were to keep other people away and keep Jesus where he was. They were standing guard. They continually kept eye on those that were outside and eye on him who was on the cross. That's where this word is, is talking about. They were there to watch over, to keep, or to guard. In Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them, this is Jesus' words, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. That word observe is our same word here. To observe, which is to guard, to watch, to keep. This is what this, this word is talking about. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 9, he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. The Pharisees were guarding the traditions that they had and were protecting them against the very word of God. They were protecting them against the very things that Jesus himself taught the very things that the Father told him to teach, the very things that the, the Father told him to exemplify and to demonstrate. They were going to protect their traditions from the things of God, even though their traditions are supposed to be the things of God. And Jesus was calling them on this. All too well, you reject the commandment of God. So the first thing that they got themselves into a position where the things that were of God, they rejected them. That is not of God. The things that were not of God, the traditions, they guarded and protected them. This is where they had gone to. They may not have started there, but they didn't do the things that were necessary to do to keep them from being a false person or falling in line with the with those that are false. In John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. Same word is used here. Guard, watch, observe. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if we love God, we need to make sure that we keep the things that he has told us to do. And so he says here, keep yourselves in the love of God. This, there is something that I do. It's, we can't pray to God, God, keep me walking in your love today. That's a wrong prayer. If I pray that, I'm praying in ignorance of the word of God because the word of God has said here in Jude, keep yourself in the love of God, which means if I don't do the keeping, I will do the leaving. I will get out. It will be me. It's not God. It is me. It's my flesh. I'm the one who didn't keep myself in the love of God. And so this is what he says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. There is something that I have to do in order for this to go on. Now, the in the love of God, we've talked about this every time we go over this, but it's important for us to know, it is using a particular Greek construction called locative of sphere. Of sphere. 
It is meaning keep yourselves operating in the sphere of God's love. So it's not just some, some arbitrary thing of saying, well, here's the love of God, stay in it. It's saying keep your behavior operating in such a way that you are within the sphere of those things that are considered to be the love of God. And I need to keep myself in it. There's a sphere that is here and I need to stay in it. I can get outside of it, but I'm supposed to stay in it. It's kind of like if you were out there watching a basketball game and they were going around on the, on the court. Most people who don't even watch basketball or don't know basketball know this about the basketball game. You must stay within the sphere of the court. If you step outside of that sphere and you have the ball, the whistle blows. This isn't good. If you wanted to play baseball and you put the ball in play, the ball must stay between what lines? The foul lines. There's a foul line on the left side. There's a foul line on the right side. If that ball, if you hit that ball and it goes outside of that foul line, then the, the play's dead. And there's certain rules and you know, so forth. Third base, first base. You have to get the ball back past there before it hits, before it bounces. And... Uh, all the things that go along with it. But there's a sphere there for which the baseball is to be played. There's a sphere for where the basketball game is supposed to be played. Just about whatever sport that you've got. Football, hockey. They all have a sphere on which they are to be played. And God is saying this. There's a sphere for which the love of God operates. Stay in it. So if you are the enemy, the enemy is going to try and get you out of the sphere of the place of God's love. He doesn't care what gets you out. He doesn't care how much of you gets out. He just needs to get you out. If the basketball player is playing, if the football player is playing, and they, they get really close to the line, especially in football they do this, they got the slow motion. They will zoom in on the foot. Does the foot hit the white line? And they're zooming in to try and see. And they do that thing with the, the replay. Back and forth, back and forth to see. Did he touch the white line? Because if he touched, the, if he stepped outside of the sphere of the football field, then the play is done. The play is over. You can't be doing that anymore. The play is, is, whatever happened after that doesn't count, doesn't matter. Keep yourselves operating in the sphere of God's love. Now there are lesser loves. There are lesser types of loves that I can pursue. There's other spheres that seem to be a love. He says, make sure you stay within the sphere of God's love. Anything less than the sphere of God's love will not be where we are supposed to be. Once we're moved off of the love of God, our, our own breakdown occurs. And likely, we will not be aware of it. Most people... Most, even, you know, if you look at the football player who's going down the sidelines, they keep running because they are not aware. They know I have to try and keep my feet in bounds and they're doing the best they can do, but they do not have eyes that go straight down. So they just keep on going and they try and tiptoe if they get close to it and they try and keep themselves over, but they're not aware whether they stepped in or out a lot of, a lot of the time. I am not always aware whether I am in the sphere of God's love once I start to, to venture out. So what I did on this was I wrote down, and you can write these down if you want. You've got some blank lines there. There are lesser loves. 
These lesser loves. I gave you five. Maybe you can come up with others. I thought about it for a while. I only came up with five. These lesser loves, they look to benefit. And I'm going to list you the things they're going to benefit. And how they would be differ. They would differ from the love of God. First off, the first one that people would fall into, the easiest one to fall into outside of the love of God is one that benefits others but not me. When I fall into a type of a love that benefits other people but does not benefit me, that is not the love of God. Well, that sounds like the most unselfish kind of love that there is. And the kind of love that God has is unselfish. And this is how the enemy gets you in. He pulls you in with, it sounds like it's unselfish. But yet, when we look at God, God has a great love for us. But is there not a benefit for God? I mean, to us, it doesn't look like a benefit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people are all that worthwhile for him to give up all that. But he saw it as worthwhile. If he saw it as worthwhile, then it is. It's like that story that uh, Brother Keith told about the cars. He's a car guy. I'm not a car guy. But uh, Brother uh, Pastor Keith from out in uh, Missouri, and he, um, he was talking about some car. And you car guys would know what this one is. I believe that the sticker price on it was like $1.3 million. Uh, McLaurin? McLaren. There it is, the McLaren. And they were outside, and he was outside with a few other people, and this McLaren pulled up. And he says they have a very distinctive sound. I don't know it, because I don't know that I've ever heard of McLaren. But some of the there are car guys back there, you probably know what a McLaren sounds like, and could, could pick it out. Um, I know what a Mazda sounds like. <laughs> you know, they, they're a very distinctive sound. But they don't cost anywhere near what a McLaren costs. <laughs> if somebody starts up a Ford truck, in the car, in the parking lot, I know that was a Ford. I can pick that out. I know the sound of that Ford any day. Mazdas have a very unique sound to their engine, and p- people who know other cars, you know, you you just get to know the sound of those engines. But they saw this McLaren pulling up, and then he uh, they, boy, what in the world is that? And so he knew what it was, and I believe he said the price tag on that's like one point three million per, and he said, oh, that car's not worth it. This person said that, and uh, Pastor Keith. He said, well, it was to them. <laughs> That's really all that you have to, to go. And apparently there's a waiting list to buy a car such as that. I don't know if that still is the case, but uh, there has always been a waiting list. You have to get on the waiting list to pay $1.3 million. Am I, am I right on the cost? Isn't it about $1.3 million? Yeah, I'm sure they have different, different models, but I guess the one he was looking at had, <laughs> had that. That's a cheap one? Uh, <laughs> so anyway, this is the, the price. And this person saw that it was worth it. And apparently a lot of other people think that it's worth it. God has decided that we were worth it. And we are worth it to him. And so there is a benefit that he is getting. He has not done things without a benefit. He sent his son for the benefit that he would get back. To buy back the human race. When he does things, he does it with a benefit. You benefit, I benefit. This is the good thing. And so, um, the enemy though, he will get you to pull into this, this place. 
Other people benefit, but I do not. And pretty soon, these folks get so sucked into this type of a love lifestyle, this love sphere, that if they benefit at all, that can't be good. That can't be God. No, no, no. I'm getting too much out of that. I shouldn't be getting anything out of this. And pretty soon, all of their resources are drained. And they have nothing more to give. Because they gave it all away. They kept looking for situations in which Others benefited, but not me. Now, they may not be drained financially, but a lot of times they're, they're drained emotionally. They're drained spiritually. Everything in them was, was taken out. The enemy very often will send people your way who have a hard luck story to try and get you to take what you have and sow it into them. God has forsaken them. God has rejected them. They have rejected God. God's not helping them, but somehow you're going to help them. And see, the devil uses this to sap all your money out of you. Because he's got you in another sphere. Now, when you get into the, into the part where God is, God benefits, you benefit. When you get into that, that sphere, I, I don't need to get into a place where we both benefit exactly the same. Because I know there's no way that I've benefited uh, more than God did. My benefit was, was huge. <laughs> But that's okay. God saw some things and he, he was happy with it and he benefited from it. And that's all that mattered with all that. But you see, the lesser love, others benefit but not me. The devil loves to get people on that because that is one of the easiest places to get them. And once that happens and they, I, I, I don't benefit, they benefit. After a while, he begins to sow thoughts. No one cares about you. It's always unfair. Why is it people don't help you out? And all these things begin to sow inside of them and pretty soon they, they begin to pull away and go in another spot because they're in the wrong sphere. But this is the easiest one to get Christians to step out into. It's not the sphere of God's love. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. It takes effort because there's a whole lot of forces going against you to try and pull you into another place. So here's the first one. They, they look to benefit others, but not me. The second one, they look to benefit others and maybe me. Eh, if I get some benefit out of great, but I'm not focused on that. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. If I get benefit out of it, that's, that's fine. But uh, it's, it's not quite the same as the other one. But it's still not the love of God. They, they look to benefit uh, both. I want to get into a place where we all benefit. And boy, does that ever sound like the love of God, doesn't it? But it's not. That's not quite what the love of God is. We'll show you what the love of God is. But they look to benefit, get to a place where both or everybody involved is, is benefited. That must be God. Eventually, we start to digress in whatever sphere we got into, and now we're going to get into a place where we look to benefit mostly myself. It's okay if other people get something out of it, but I'm mostly, what's in it for me? This is my main motivation. What's in it for me? You won't jump into that right from the love of God into this, but it's something that you can eventually, once you get wore out in these other ones, you can begin to fall to. And then we get into the last one. 
only me. I don't care that anybody else gets anything. I want to make sure that I benefit out of this thing. And that would be, of course, very selfish. And it's very easy to pick that up as the, as the wrong kind. So what is the love of God? The love of God is based on following His commands, as the Word of God has told us. Regardless of who benefits. That is the love of God. I will follow His commands regardless of who benefits. The enemy is always trying to get me to look at, well, who's going to benefit? Are you going to benefit? If you are, that's selfishness. Are they going to benefit? And he's always trying to get us to focus on this. But once he gets us to focus on who's the benefit here, we, we walk out of the love of God. Because the love of God is, if he says, go and do this, I go and do it. That's the love of God. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. That's the love of God. I've got to keep myself in the love of God. This is part of how I battle the false people from becoming part of me, is to keep myself in the love of God. I will follow His commands regardless of who's, who benefits. If God said it in His Word, if God spoke it to me, I will do it. There are some God will point you toward to act in a way you don't want to. He'll say, go in here and do this for them. I don't want to do that to them. I don't want to help them. I don't want to love on them. There are also those God will turn you away from, but you're drawn to them. But God, I want to help them. Look at what they're up against. Look at what they're into. God says, leave that alone. Of course, the one that jumps out to us the most is Samuel. When he's praying for Saul, he's drawn to Saul. And God says, get up, leave him alone. I have, uh, I have other work for you to do. If we're going to stay in the love of God, I've got to listen to what he says. To do differently than God leads or instructs is to step out of the love of God. Jesus said, I don't do anything I didn't see the Father do, and I don't say anything I didn't hear the Father say. That is the love of God. That is the example we have. If he... Sometimes have to speak harshly to people. He spoke harshly. If God said, speak these words to them, he spoke those words. If God says, go over with this person and heal them, he went over no matter how far it was. He'd go over there and he'd minister healing into that situation because God said it. Understand there's a lot of counterfeits and some of them look good. They look beneficial, but it's not the love of God. This may look like a great situation. They benefit, I benefit. But did God say to do it? If God didn't say to do it, then I'm missing God. I'm I'm stepping outside of the love of God. And what he said in this verse is, keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. i got to look for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy for me to find the mercy of people. It's easy for me to find the mercy of humankind. I can see that mercy. Well, that looks like a sad situation. We need to step in on there. But God says, no, there is no mercy in this situation. There is just judgment because of what they have done in the past. I don't know what they've done in the past. I don't know what they have refused in the past. And God says, hands off. I may look at another one and say, oh, that one's, oh, surely the judgment of God is coming down upon them. How many of us would have looked on Saul before he was Paul and said, Mm-mm, no mercy for him. 
And yet, what did God do? He extended mercy. We have to listen to Him. He knows the heart. He knows what has gone on before. He knows what's going on ahead. I've got to listen to Him. It is going to be a job to keep yourself in the love of God. If I don't, if I step out of the sphere of the love of God, I am vulnerable to what is false. That is imperative that I stay with these things. I must remain in the love of God. So I've got to build myself up. I've got to keep myself in the love of God. These are things that will help keep me away from what is false. They will keep me in a place where I can spot what is false. Because the more I walk in the love of God, the more I can tell when other people have stepped out of it. Now he goes on here in verse 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. Well, again, we're looking for the mercy of God. I'm looking for the, his, I'm looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ. I need to find where His mercy is. And so He says, on some have compassion. That means on some, you may want to have compassion, but He says, no, no compassion there. Don't have compassion there. The mercy of Jesus Christ does not fall there. On some have compassion, making a distinction. I need to make a distinction between the one who is in line the one who is a vessel of mercy and the one who is a vessel of wrath. I need to make that distinction. How do I do it? I listen to the voice of God. God tells me, go ahead and be merciful here. Do not be merciful here. Don't offer compassion in this situation. I listen to what he has to say. On some, have compassion making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now this word here, make a distinction. I didn't go over that. It, it, it means to decide, to judge, to dispute, or to doubt. Matthew 16.3 has it this way. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern. That's the word there, right there. You know how to discern. You know how to make a distinction. What's that? Is it up there? Oh, okay. See, well, we, we each had the wrong chapter once tonight. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Matthew 16 and 3. It will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. That is that word that is there. Make a distinction. Just as we look outside and we can look at the sky and we can make a distinction as to what is coming. I can ascertain. This is what's in the... In the air, this is what's coming around. In the same way, in the, in the realm of the spirit, I need to make that distinction. I need to be looking. There are signs. There are things that will, that will help me. When it says here, pulling them out of the fire, that word there, to pull them out, is a real uh, uh, common word for you. Harpazo. To seize, to catch away, to take by force. This is the rapture word. This is one who comes in and swoops in and steals them out of the fire. Who takes them out of harm's way. It's not always a gentle one. When you see a young child about ready to fall into something, get hurt, you don't go in there gently. You go in there and you swoop them out. Because the main thing is to keep them out. We're not, they may get hurt in the way we take them out. 
because we're swooping in. But we'll deal with that later. That little bit of hurt won't be near as much as what we're saving them from. He says, on some have compassion, making distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So I'm going to have compassion on some, but other ones I'm not having compassion on. I'm coming in there and swooping them. That's what Jesus did with some of the Pharisees. He's trying to save them from the, from the fire. And so he, he swooped. He didn't care if he got, they got hurt in the way. John called them the vipers. Snakes. We're trying to, we're trying to save them from the fire. We're trying to, we're, we're being harsh. But we're trying to save them. We're trying to help them. Other ones you can have compassion on. But you gotta make a distinction. Because there's some you cannot have that compassion. They're not going to hear it. He says they're hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The word there for garment is a word that is used for a garment that is closest to the body. And it seems to have a uh, reference to an Old Testament idea of a leper's garment. There was a leper's garment they would wear and this would be close to the body. And this would be something that would be closest to the infection, the leprous infection. And this was something that uh, you didn't wash with other clothes. You generally didn't burn these. We just burn them up. And so that's the idea he could be referring to here. Is that Old Testament idea of leprosy. Of course, leprosy was still something they were dealing with in, in that day. And they would certainly know about the burning of those particular type of garments. But others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You don't want these kind of things to be going on. You don't want these these things near you. If you see something has been contaminated, you got to have such a detest about things contaminated that you're just ready to burn it up. I don't need that. I need to get rid of that. That could be attitudes. That could be things that we're holding dear that, that we shouldn't be. Nope, just burn them up. Get them out. We are, to dis- we are able to distinguish between those who need compassion and those who are beyond it. There are some people that are beyond compassion. I gave you three things here. First off, by being aware of their description. There's a description for those people in the Word of God. Jude has given us some. The rest of the Word of God gives us descriptions of those that are in these categories. And I need to follow those descriptions. I need to see them. And not be swayed by things of the, of the flesh. There are, there are descriptions that he has given. Jude has given very clear descriptions of these. And I can't go over there and say, well, you know, maybe, maybe they're just in the wrong way. Listen to the descriptions. Second, by being tuned into the spirit. I need to get tuned into the spirit. I'm going to do this by doing what he said here in verse 20, being built up. By me being built up in my faith, I'm taking what is there, I'm adding on to it, I am building onto the structure already there. I am putting myself in a position to be able to discern this one is of God, this one is not. Right and wrong doctrine will not do it for me. Because a right person may still have some wrong doctrine. And a wrong person may have some right doctrine. I cannot use that as a distinguishing factor. 
I have to know how to recognize those that are uh, of the right spirit, those that are, are not. You can, you can tell, you can discern some of those things that were there. I, I ran into somebody some, some weeks back and I had seen this person, uh, out in the neighborhood running and I, I observed them for a little while and I said, you know what? That person's a track person. I could tell. That person's a track person. Never had a conversation with the person at all, but I knew this is a track person. And so eventually, over, over the course of time, I had a conversation with them and found out um, they had been on their college track team. <laughs> I never told them. <laughs> but inside I said, yep, do it. Because you, you can usually tell. On the, I could tell a track person there's just certain things that they do. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't define it for you. I could not ever make a list if they're this, 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 and this. They're a track person. I just could pick it out. I could just see it. Yep, that's a track person. I can also pick out a cross-country person. Just like that. I could just meet them, talk them a little bit. Oh, you, I bet you ran cross-country. Sure did. <laughs> I couldn't give you the list. This, 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 and this. And that will tell you. I couldn't give you that list. But I know how to tell them. I know how to discern them. There's, there's ways to be able to, to figure this out. There's, but it's, it's just a, there's just a knowing that is there. I fellowshiped around a lot of cross country people. I fellowshiped around a lot of track people. I know how to tell them. The more that you fellowship with your Father God, the more you can pull out people that are of Him. They're not completely right yet, but they're of Him. The same way that Priscilla and Aquila picked out that Apollos all right, he's got some doctrine that's wrong here, but the boy's good. <laughs> he's He's got a right heart. He's in the right direction. We just need to help him out here with some of this stuff. And so they pulled him aside and they straightened out some of the doctrine and he went on to be one of the greatest teachers in the New Testament. New Testament time. He's up there with Paul. People would mention him with, with Paul. They would mention him with Peter. This was... This was see, they, they could tell... The more I build myself up, the more I get into knowing who God is. The more I have that communion, the more I can pick up. This one's right. All right, they got some stuff that's wrong in here, but this one, this one's all right. And, um, and, that, and that's good. My wife and I were having a conversation on, uh, you know, we, we both have been trying to pursue different prophets and find some uh, different uh, people out there because I haven't pursued it as much as I uh, have since we've been, you know, looking at it. In here, and uh, they were. She brought up as one person, and some of the things they were teaching. And well, you know, <laughs> the gifting of a prophet is not to teach. It's to get into the presence of God and hear the words of God. And so they were doing some teaching. On, I'm not saying that prophets can't teach. I'm saying that's not their that's not their number one gifting. That's not their their, their spot. And so they sometimes do some weird things in the area of teaching. And this one was teaching some stuff and said, man, that is wrong. <laughs> but it didn't mean that the person is wrong. It means that the doctrine there is wrong. The teaching they're trying to come out with, that's not your, the, that's not your area. That's not an area that, uh, that you specialize in. But um, you know, we, we, have to ter- we have to determine, is this person one that God has called? If God has called them, how far have they walked out that calling? A person may have a calling to be a prophet, but it doesn't mean that they have um, 
develop themselves to the level that they want to be at, and they may be trying to operate at a higher level than they than they ought to. And that comes out. So we have to we have to be careful. But be tuned into the spirit. The more tuned in you get to the spirit, the spirit will bear witness. That one's okay. Often a little bit of doctrine here. Just because a person's okay doesn't mean I accept everything that they say. I still check it out. If they they're on the right track, they're going in the right direction. They got a good spirit in there, but we're we're still developing some some things on the inside. Just like you and I, we're still being developed on the inside. We're we're not there yet. Here's the third one: by being built up on the true faith. Keep being built up on the true faith. Be tuned into the spirit, but be built up on the true faith. If you're built up on what is true, what is false will be very clear, very evident. By being strong ourselves, we are not easily overcome. It's imperative that you make sure that you yourselves are strong. The people, if you go on on an airline flight, the people that give the instructions, you know, the the ones that get up there and they do all that stuff with the mask coming down, all that, they always tell you, if you have a young child with you, make sure you put your mask on first. And that goes against everything that we want to do because I want to take care of the young child first. But And they explain it to you. At least the ones I've heard explain it to you. If you take care of the young child, that young child can't take care of you. So you got to first off take care of you so that you're in a position to take care of that young child. Otherwise, you won't be in a position. You've got to make sure that you are strong. If you are strong yourself, you will not be easily overcome. If you put on that mask yourself, that will keep you strong. That will keep you with oxygen going through if there's no oxygen for you to, to be able to get in the atmosphere. It's going to keep you strong so that you can be out there and do other do the things you need to do. To stay needy is to remain an easier target. Needy Christians are easy targets of the devil. How many of you know some needy Christians? Always need something. I don't mean they always need money. I'm just talking they're always needy. They always need something. They never can seem to get something for themselves. Oh, will you pray with me? Oh, will you help me with it? Oh, will you do that? Every time, there's, a, there's needy. They just need something. It seems like they're always in a mess. Always in a pickle. Always got something going on. Why? <laughs> they're needy. They're easy targets. They got to get out of the place of being needy and get into a place of being strong. You get into a place of being strong, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to succumb to all that other stuff that comes around. We got to be strong. Don't be needy. So this is what he's, he's teaching here in the first part. We're going to get into the, into the second part next time and finish this whole thing up. But be strong yourself. Look to make yourself stronger. Just because you are as strong as you are doesn't mean you don't have room to become stronger yet. Um, you should always be looking to build on to the foundation, to build on to the building I've already got. I always should be looking. What can I build? What else do I need? How am I in the area of what I understand the love of God to be? How am I in, the, in understanding how to tell what is false? How am I in the, in the area of understanding what is law and what is spirit? And we can keep on going on topic after topic. I need to keep getting in there 
and find it out. As you read the Word of God, things should pop out at you. Oh, wait, he's talking about this. I don't think I remember too much about that. Well, there's an area that you need to build on. Go out there and, and build some on that area. There are places in your life to read the Word. There's places in your life to study the Word. You need to make sure that you do both. If you just read and don't study, it's not going to help. If you just study and don't read, it's not going to help either. You need the combination of both. My reading feeds my study. I'm reading some stuff. Oh, I think I can, I can study that out a little bit more. And as I'm studying, as, and I've studied on some things, I've learned some things. When I'm reading, I get reminded of them. Oh, yeah, I remember studying that out. I remember when I was uh, getting into that. I'm just reading it. I get reminded of those things. These things can feed each other. Pray. Pray and say, pray in the Spirit. Pray in worship. Pray building up that fellowship between you and God. These are things that we need to do. I need to have that communion going on. That needs to be a regular thing. The enemy is going to try and pull that from you. He's going to try and get you tired of it. It's not doing anything. Go out there and be in service. Go out there and do something for God. Don't be sitting at home all the time reading, studying, and praying. Well, you don't want to be sitting at home all the time just reading, studying, and praying. But you need to do it some. Then you need to go out there and and do some things. And then you need to come on back and do some more reading. Do some more study. Do some more praying. Keep yourself strong. And keep yourself in the love of God. And just know there are substitutes. There are false things all out there. The enemy is trying to get you on a different sphere. If he can get you into a different sphere other than the love of God, he's got you whipped. You may not be whipped today, but he knows the more I keep you out there, the weaker you get. The less you can tell what is false, and the more of what is false will get pulled into you. And that's not, that's not helpful. That's not good. Just want to make sure that I was talking about. I don't think we did that, that part. As I was closing this thing out, I'm, I was ready to defer something. I didn't think we had done just yet. Because I think I pulled it out of yours. The false teachers in their doctrine tear down faith. That is what they do. It doesn't appear that way because when I'm hearing the false things, it gets me excited because I think this might be true. But what is false will tear me down. The process starts by tolerating a little false truth. Now the rest of it I'm going to give you. It's not in your outline. You can write it down if you want to or come up here and copy it later on. But the process starts by tolerating a little false truth. If the enemy can get me to tolerate something that's just a little bit false, he's got a foothold. Then what happens is I begin to enjoy that little bit of false a little bit more. Before I just tolerated it, now I'm kind of enjoying it. I'm seeing the benefit of of this stuff. I go from enjoying that little bit of falseness a little bit more to accepting by not perceiving more false truth. Because you see that little bit that came in began to wear me down. Jesus put it this way. A little leaven leavens the whole lump because it begins to spread. He was talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees. That was false stuff. There was false things in there. 
A little bit gets in. This is how it does it. First, I begin to enjoy, at first, I just was tolerating it. All right, well, I can put up with that. I don't think it's right, but I can put up with that. But then pretty soon, I begin to enjoy that a little bit more. I then come to accepting by not perceiving more false truth. I then go to enjoying what I was just accepting. Anytime I just accept something, after a while, I begin to enjoy it. I see the, the light in it, even though there is no light. I see the light in it, and I begin to enjoy it. I begin to walk in it. The last step is I eventually get to the place of not tolerating what is truth, and I feed on what is false. I go to enjoying what I was just accepting to eventually not tolerating what is truth and feeding on what is false. And by the time I get to that fifth spot, I have no idea that what I am enjoying is false. I think it's true because I have become blinded. You see, throughout all this process, I stopped building myself up. I stopped praying in the Holy Spirit. I stopped having that communication, that fellowship with God. And that whole aspect of my relationship began eroded. And I became weak, but I didn't know that I was weak. And this stuff comes in, and it took hold. And Judah's saying, you need to prevent this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The Word, the word of God has things that we need to be passionate about, we need to be sure of. But the enemy has a lot more things that he wants us to get passionate about and to be sure of. Make sure that what you are passionate about is the truth that comes from God and not truth that comes from men. Because whatever I tolerate, I will eventually enjoy. Then it will eventually be something that I feed from instead of the truth of God. Well, Father, we thank you for the enlightenment that Jude gives us on this process of following after what is false so that we don't follow after what is false and we stay with what is true. Your Holy Spirit is such a help for us. He enlightens our way. He tells us when we're off track, as long as we'll listen. I thank you that we have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen.